Welcome, everyone, to the Spiritual Brew Pub. I'm your host, Michael Camp. Today, I'm excited to have faith deconstruction coach Angela Harrington with us. This is this is your second appearance with us on the Spiritual Brew Pub, Angela. So you must be doing something right. <laughs> That's great. Do you have frequent flyer miles? Because I feel like there's a special club. Yeah, we should for start a program. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Maybe a okay. hat, or can you send me a bookmark or something special? <laughs> something. We'll come up with something. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. So, um, also, Angela is a certified life coach and seminary trained online pastor. She has a uh, degree from uh, Wesley Wesley Seminary, and. Uh, I love this quote on your website. After finding faith in my 30s, I began to realize that I was hearing from the church what I was hearing from the church about women didn't always line up with what I was uh, line up with what God was telling me. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I loved God, but realized the church was teaching some really toxic stuff. So uh, very lots of people relate to that. Angela helps people find healing from religious trauma through their releasing harmful beliefs. Angela, officially welcome to the podcast again. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We always have yep. such good conversations. Oh, great. We're, we're going to have a great one today because I, uh, you're, you're coming out with a book. Yeah. And uh, I'm really excited about it, as you are, uh, Deconstructing Your Faith Without Losing Yourself. Mm-hmm. And um, I really like you have some really unique, um, very very uh, important things to say in this book that uh, I think you touch on more than other people have. And so I think it's really important. And uh, I love the content. And of course, this is right up my alley because I'm a uh, deconstruction coach as well. Yeah. And uh, so I love to hear what other people are doing and how we can help people. So um, uh, one of the things is that um, I think that your focus, of course, is to help people coming out of uh, who are deconstructing uh, conservative Christianity, particularly evangelicalism, fundamentalism. And uh, we talked in May about this last yeah. year, yeah. but we're going to really do a more of a deep dive today. And uh, so, by the way, when is the book coming out? Let folks know. Yeah. So the book is currently in pre-order. You can order it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, local bookstore. Uh, but February 20th is when it's actually available uh, right. to ship out or to, to go on the bookshelves at the local stores. So it's available for pre-order, but it'll be out uh, shipped on February 20th. So right. let's start off with why did you want to write this book and what do you hope to accomplish? Yeah, I I think the biggest motivation for writing this book was coming out of my work as a coach. Um, Like you said, there's so many unique things in this book. I have always been an out-of-the-box thinker, even when that gets me in trouble or means not fitting in. And so there's a little bit of like rebellious, like, okay, let's just be an out-of-the-box thinker, right? Let's keep talking about these things. Um, But the biggest motivation was just knowing that I, as a deconstruction coach, can't work with everyone. I can't, like, there's not enough bandwidth in the world to be able to talk to all the people and and kind of nurture them through whatever season they're in. And so writing the book was my, um, you know, my way of, of getting the information out to more people, uh, especially those who aren't ready to go into a coaching relationship or aren't ready to go into a, a therapy relationship even, and are just kind of wondering what's going on. Um, that was really the big motivation. Uh, I love writing. I've always loved writing. I love coaching. And so this is sort of like the writing and coaching had a baby and that's where this book came from. (laughs) There you go. All right. That sounds good. Um, uh, Let's, let's also like set some foundations here. What, how do you define the term faith deconstruction? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that because there are just limitless different definitions out there. And so when I'm talking about deconstruction, I'm talking about the examining of our belief system. I'm talking about a sifting and sorting um, and just evaluating what feels sacred and holy and what doesn't. Um, And that looks different for every single person. Um, You know, that's possibly the most frustrating thing about deconstruction is there's no A to Z. It's not Google Maps. You can't plug in your destination and follow all the steps because we're all starting in different places. So there is a lot of gray area 
um, in that definition, but that's intentional because it really honors where people are at. And rather than saying you have to be here to be in deconstruction. Right, right. And I think another thing to point out is that the term deconstruction, even though it's kind of a new term that's, you know, being, being used about, you know, deconstructing faith and religion, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the whole concept of what it is, has been around for a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We touch on that in the book just ever so briefly, because it, it is right. not like something new and popular that people made up because they didn't want to be in the church. Uh, it's something that's deeply rooted in philosophy. It's rooted in this idea of taking big ideas and sort of, you know, pulling them apart, teasing them out and and just going deeper and deeper and deeper. So there's a lot of curiosity right. there. Right. Um, and I think that's one of the big misconceptions about deconstruction from people who haven't experienced it. Um, there's this idea that it's just wandering away Um, whereas those in deconstruction often describe it as trying to understand um, and exploring and questioning, which is how you get to a a healthy faith, whatever that looks like in the end. Exactly. It's much healthier if you have the question, if you have the the permission and the space to wonder and be curious. Yeah. And the permission and the space is really important because a lot of, a lot of churches, you can, you might be able to ask questions, but they have to be safe questions and you have right. to accept their answer. And <laughs> if you don't. Yeah. Yeah. Doubt and uncertainty right. and questioning is all welcome right. within a certain box. Exactly. But as soon right. as you put one toe outside that box, a lot of times there, there's just no room. There's yeah, no room for that. True. Yeah. So one of the points that you made in the beginning of the book, I thought was really important. You said um, that you made two points and basically the question I have for you is, why is it important to clarify these two things? And the first thing was uh, a deconstruction coach is not here to save your faith, protect the church, or convince you of a particular Christian faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, uh, the coach is not there to, to abolish you know, the church or lure you to abandon your, your faith altogether and you know, have you embrace something outside Christianity or atheism. So those two things can be true at the same time. So why is it important to clarify those two things? Yeah, I think it's really important because one of the hardest things about Christianity, and I would say any organized religion, is that there's a lot of instruction. There's a lot of, here's what you should believe. Here's how you should get to this point. And the reason that coaching is so unique um, is that if it's done well, the coach's goals, the coach's narrative and the, the, the coach's agenda isn't actually what's centered in the conversation. And so if I were to come in and say, hey, I'm a faith deconstruction coach and my goal is to help you save your faith at any cost, that's my agenda. Yeah. That's just, a, you know, that's just jumping right. into someone else's system, right? right? Same thing if I was like, hey, the church sucks. Let's blow it up and get out of here. Again, my agenda, um, right. which, you know, holding my agenda doesn't serve clients well. Right. So in a coaching relationship, there's more of a collaborative conversation happening. Um, and and that's yeah. really what I wanted to carry into this book, that even though we're going to talk about some hard, messy things and probably bump up against some stuff you didn't know was there, uh, it's not in an attempt to pressure you to become more conservative or more progressive or less religious altogether. That's not my goal. Right. Yeah. It's really up to the person and their journey, but um, important for people to know that there's no, in other words, there's no agenda going on. Like, uh, you know, I want you to just wind up right. Just like the the faith that I have. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And and even it's so funny because I have clients that I've worked with for a long time um, who've become friends and they usually get the most mad at me when they ask me what I believe in a coaching session. And I say, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Right. Because that's the, the, you know, listening to what someone you respect believes and then kind of adopting it as your own it's a little bit easier. It's a lot easier than sitting with your own questions and the information you've well, gathered and making a decision and taking it. Right. Well, that's, yeah. Well, the, they've been in a church that's been telling them that for 
years or decades, mm -hmm. <laughs> this is what you should believe. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. You don't want a coach to come in and say, this is what you should believe, right? right. It's the same thing, right? Right, so right. I love this quote in the book, in faith deconstruction, we are not dismantling every belief we have, we have until there is no belief left. Instead, we are examining, sifting, and sorting what we believe to determine how it aligns with who we believe God to be. Yeah. So I think that's a great quote. Thank you. I, I think that, that I hope that that presents the freedom for people to say, I don't have to live up to any standards here. Right. There's yeah. no like, um, you know, as a recovering rule follower, like there's no set list of what I have to do to consider myself Christian or consider myself not Christian anymore. Right. Yeah. It really gets to be their journey, uh, which, in my opinion, and and from what I believe from my experience in in seminary and all kinds of different ministry, is that's actually what spirituality is supposed to be. That's actually right. what faith is supposed to be. Right. Um, and that challenges the system. So a lot of people are really mad at me right now, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I'm not here for them. <laughs> all right. But you know, I I love. I love the way you said examining, sifting, and sorting what we believe. Mm -hmm. And in my uh, deconstruction workshop, I have this little photo of this, uh, a, a couple, a few photos of like a, a, a bag you would, you would take, you know, on a trip, mm -hmm. you're going to the airport and you're packing your bag. And this bag is just full of stuff. Yeah. It's unorganized. It's all over the place. Stuff is it's coming out. And our job is to open it up mm -hmm. and go through it, examine it, mm -hmm. sift it and say, okay, this is harmful. I'm going to get rid of this. I don't yeah. need this. This is helpful. I'm going to keep it. This is, and then at the end, you've got this nice organized carry on instead of this huge <laughs> load right. on your shoulders or load carrying. And uh, I think that, that, I think that, is what you're driving at when you say we are examining, sifting, and sorting, and then yeah, coming, and then coming up with something on our own. Yeah, I, I talk a lot about hoarders and the organization shows, and um, I think that's something a lot of people are familiar with, where they pull everything out and they lay it on a tarp, and then they start sifting it into different piles based on how valuable that is, or how um, you know how emotionally attached, how how sacred that item feels, uh, if we want to use some churchy language. And I think that that's what a lot of us have the ability to do. Um, I will add the caveat that the more you are marginalized by the church, the more the church is actively harming you, the less space you have to do that sifting and sorting in the situation you're in right now. Right. So I, as a white, married, hetero, cis, educated woman, have a lot of privilege, have a lot of space to be able to do that sifting and sorting within my community. I could sit in the pews and nobody would know the difference. But if I'm actively being harmed by the church, a lot of times you have to step back from the church to have enough safety to examine and sift and sort and kind of walk through all those. Right. Steps. It has to be in a safe space or yeah. it, you're, you're pressured in some way. Yeah, yeah, someone can't be looking over your shoulder and going, "Oh, yeah, that's a non-negotiable. You got to keep that in there." <laughs> right, right, right. Right. So, um, let's let's talk about um, some people claim, "Oh, deconstruction, it's just a trend. You know, it's this new thing that's going on and mm -hmm. and, you know, don't, you know, beware of it, etc." So, uh, why is faith deconstruction or let's say becoming an ex-evangelical or ex-evangelical, why is it not just a just the latest trend? Yeah, I, I think that perhaps the label is the latest trend, um, mm -hmm. but language shifts all the time, right? So just mm -hmm. because a, a just because a a name or a hashtag or um, you know something becomes trendy in in the name doesn't mean the ideas or the process are new and, and, you know, just going to be here today, gone tomorrow kind of thing. And I think that's important because that's one of the largest arguments against deconstruction, again, from people who are outside who haven't experienced it, is that it's just something that people are making up um, for this season and it has no roots 
in the Bible. It ha It is not rooted in church history. It is just this cultural thing that people are doing because they want to rebel against the church, because they want to um, leave. Yeah, do, right? do their own thing. Or, yeah, gonna, it's about a lack of accountability. It's right, about I'm gonna, like, I'm just lazy. I don't want to be held accountable. I right? just want to sin. I, I'm tired of sin, exactly. you know, being told. That. So I'm just going to go out and do my own thing and deconstruct, right? right. Right. No, and then those of us who are supporting people in deconstruction, yeah. we, of course, then become the heretics that are right. Oh, the you're the ones that are encouraging the them to do that. Right. 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 So that's a good point. Um, yeah. what, what, what I'd what I'd add to that is that, you know, deconstruction has been going on for centuries yeah. and it just hasn't been called deconstruction. It's, you know, yeah. it is a new term, but in, in my historical content, I, I, you know, I share how how actually. Jesus was deconstructing Second Temple Judaism, how mm -hmm. uh, all throughout history, even the Bible critiques itself. There's people, prophets critiquing other parts of the Torah and deconstructing right. things like sacrificial religion, etc. So it's just, the concept has been around for or and the experience that people have has been around forever. Right. It's just that, it's just, that's the term that our. I don't know, a generation came up with in the last 10 years or whatever. When I first started it, it was not called deconstruction. I, right. it was, I think we call it a faith shift or something. I forgot, sure, you know, sure. different terms. So, so that's, that's the trendy thing is like you said, just the name, not yeah. the act the, the uh, content underneath and what's going on underneath. Absolutely. And there's a push for people who are doubting, questioning kind of in this deconstruction space, there's a push for people to move away from that individual exploration, that trying to understand what I believe towards uh, let's let's reform the church. Let's call it a reformation. I was actually listening to a really um, unhealthy podcast a little earlier, an interview, kind of doing some homework. And there was this thing of like, OK, well, have your doubts, but don't call it deconstruction because deconstruction is actually deconversion. Like, yeah, right. That's another like, thing. Right. Deconstruction is deconversion. De and really what they're saying is that uh, once people land in places outside their uh, definition of yeah. Christianity, right, they're non-negotiables. Like if they if, if you land outside believing the Bible is an errant and you believe it's not an errant and it's fallible, then you're not really a Christian. You're outside, right. Right? right? And that they're making these rules and deconstructionists are just saying, wait a minute, actually, <laughs> historically, in that example, uh, people didn't believe in the inerrancy of the Bible. You've got this right. wrong view of the Bible that's actually not historically true. Right. Absolutely. So, Especially yeah. with recent translations. And um, we see this in a lot of conservative fundamentalist spaces where you know, the King James translation, that's it. Like that's the OG original Bible. I'm using air quotes here. Um, that's the original text and that is what's infallible. And yet we have evidence from lots of theologians, from lots of scholars and biblical archaeologists to show how that was very much driven. That translation was very much trans was driven by the culture of the time and some really unhealthy, abusive beliefs of King James, right? Like right, he wasn't right. going to hire people to translate right. the Bible um, in a way that was, that was neutral and that was fair. Um, he was going to yeah. pay people to do it in a way that aligned with him. Like, right. And, and, you know, that, that, that still goes on. I mean, absolutely. The NIV, for example, was a, is a biased translation. I, you know, I, in my opinion, when you unpack it, <laughs> because mostly evangelicals were the translators and they had, mm -hmm. you know, a certain interpretation of the Bible that they wanted to keep. So right. uh, you, you can find uh, translations there's no perfect translation. Translation. Everyone's got problems, but nowadays I think there are some better translations. But you know, it's because it takes a while to overcome those biases to get to those Absolutely. better translations. Yeah, so, and that's why you kind of the challenging the hierarchy and and racism and um, you know decolonizing our faith is so important because the majority of translations have been done by white, politically and religiously conservative males. Right. Right. Yeah. And and that doesn't mean that those voices are invaluable, but it, what it means is that that 
that translation is incomplete. Um, and even if you bring someone like me to the table, if you bring a white educated female to the table, well, cool, that that adds a little bit of, of, of different context. But what about people of color? What about indigenous people? What about, um, you know, people from countries where uh, they were colonized and, and were treated as um, they were really exploited? Are, are we right. are we bringing their voices to the table? Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> are well, we bringing queer I mean, voices black, to the table, right? The black like, church in general yeah. totally interprets the gospel differently than the white church. Yeah. You know, it's very different. It's so it's like, it's, it's because of their experience and they, right. they see things in there that maybe white people don't see because we don't, we haven't been exploited like that. So right. um, one uh, let's, let's dive a little deeper into this. What, yeah. what I'm, you might call the backlash against deconstruction. Um, you know, uh, some people um, discredit it. They read, you know, they redefine it. Like you said, oh, it's it, you know, it's really it's really deconversion, right? Mm -hmm. um, they're or they push a watered down version, right. like you were saying, you know, like okay, it, it, it should just be Reformation. You can't, you know, you can't right. leave the church or you can't stop believing the Bible is an inerrant or something. So. Um, uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit about the backlash that you've seen and uh, why it's so um, uh, misguided. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that there is a real desire for things to be solid, um, for things to be absolute, for things to be immovable. Um, it, it In those systems that operate in unhealthy ways, particularly the lack of certainty is threatening. The lack of certainty um, feels unsafe to people who've always been rooted in that certainty. So what we see in this backlash is we see a lot of people who are deeply rooted in conservative Christianity who are unhappy about the questioning. And again, what what's being presented is you're you're just a heretic. You're just wandering away. It's really just a a lack of faith. And what you should be doing is doubling down on what we're teaching over here. Yes, right, right, yeah. right. The 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 cure to the illness of doubt, if you want to look at it that way, is doing more of what you've already been doing, just trying harder. And I think what people who really are aggressively um, attacking people and, and trying to defend the church don't understand is that deconstruction isn't actually about attacking the church. Deconstructing is an individual trying to figure out what they believe and saying, yes, this is what I've learned in those environments. Is it possible that there's other things? I don't know. It's a really humble posture. And, and I think that's what gets missed, right? It's not an ego-driven I want to believe what I want to believe. And like, here I am to, to steamroll everybody. It's more, you know, deconstruction is more of a, a humble, even confusing season of saying, okay, what I thought was rock solid may not be rock solid right. because it was presented in a way that only represented a small portion of the world's experience. Right. right. And yeah. so I think that, I think that's the backlash. Um, I had a, a, an online conference a few years ago and, and talked to Father Nathan Monk, and he was saying, you know, just wait. Um, we're right around the corner. We're going to see conservative churches and, and speakers and authors and whatnot um, talking about this as sort of an evangelistic tool of like, oh, you're doubting. Now, whether they use deconstruction or not, is it depends on the people, but like, oh, you're doubting. Let us help you through it. Yeah, right. But again, then there's those agenda, but they have agenda an agenda behind it, right? Right, right. Yeah. Which is why it's really important to find coaches, to find therapists, um, to find book clubs, to find communities that don't have that agenda of trying to get you to land in a certain place, right? Um, and trying to avoid certain non-negotiables, because if you're just adopting someone else's belief system, why is that any different than what you've been doing? Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I think, I think the backlash, the way I, I uh, interpret it is these are people who, who really do not um, want to go there with deconstruction. They, their, their whole worldview 
would just come tumbling down <laughs> if they they if they had to stand up and say, "Hey, the deconstructionists are right about this, this, and this," then mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. then it's just like they they're not ready to go there, right? And so they yeah. have to come up with a defense, and their defense is to demonize deconstructionists. I mean, you know, Sean McDowell and uh, Elisa Childers and Tim Barnett on a recent YouTube video, we're basically saying deconstructionists are wolves in sheep's clothing. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're promoting doctrines of devils. I mean, they're really, really going out there and saying these people are terrible. Yeah. And so, but this is their only defense because they're not willing to basically uh, look at their own doctrines more critically. It's just my way or the highway. And yeah. it's kind of sad the way it is. But I want to and, and, and I want to say, though, in defense and somewhat of a defense of uh, evangelicals that are are criticizing us, that sometimes they are in their own process and they wouldn't call it deconstruction. Right. But it, sometimes it is. And so so you have to also be patient with people and go, yeah, I mean, I understand that. I would, you and I were probably in, in that spot at one point where we were digging in our heels and saying, mm -hmm. oh, you know, this is true, right? But slowly, sometimes deconstruction happens very slowly. And so gradually, like Rick Warren came out and said, oh, actually, women can teach in the church, right? So yeah. at least he deconstructed that one thing. He's right. probably got a long way to go in our minds, right. but- but at least he was open to that one thing. So, I mean, we, think, yeah. I think we have to be patient with people. And I, I think patience is a privilege too. So again, we have to look at where we are sort of in the, the church hierarchy. Um, yeah. You know, how much are we being pushed to the margins? Um, and for you and I, it's not a lot, right? Um, so those of us that are, are benefited in more ways than the people who are most marginalized by the church, there's more room for us to be patient. Um, but that doesn't mean that we should expect other individuals who are being actively harmed by the church to be patient, right? Yeah. It's not their battle, right? It's right. it's yeah. our those of right. us that we, have privilege in the system. It's ours. Yeah, we still need to push back on the backlash. Yeah. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that, but I'm just yeah. saying that there are it's interesting to look and observe and see the psychology behind it sometimes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like if anybody is familiar, so here's one of the biggest things I always teach in deconstruction is go to the Gottman Institute's website. And if you just Google four horsemen, Gottman, what you'll find are the four horsemen, which are the the typical defenses that people slip into. Right. Um, one of them is contempt. And what you see in oh, a lot of unhealthy okay. conversations the about, psychology of it. yeah, it's, it, it's defense mechanisms. And what you mm -hmm. see in a lot of cases is rather than having a, um, a rational conversation where we both come in on equal footing as human beings, you see a lot of contempt. You see a right. lot of, um, I was listening, the one I was listening to earlier, they were saying that um, people uh, who are deconstructing are always, there's always this superiority that they show up with. And um, again, that's not, that's not what I've seen. That's not what I've seen in my clients. That's not what I've seen in individuals that I consider friends and peers, right? I see a lot of humility. Um, I see a lot of recognizing that our perspective as individuals is not the only perspective that's out there, which is the exact opposite of superiority. So when you, when you see that kind of venomous attacking thing come out from any, any position, take it with a grain of salt and recognize that that person is probably on some level feeling threatened by yeah, whatever right. it is that they're attacking. Right. Yeah, that's Sometimes true. that's justified. Sometimes it's not, right. <laughs> but it's not the only place that we should set up camp. Um, whether we're in the church or out of the church or not sure there's got, we've got to be willing to do the work to move past the angry, ragey stage because it's very valid, but we're not supposed to live there. That's, right. that's not how humans are designed. Right. Right. That's true. So um, I wanted to get into what toxic religion is and um, and then move into reconstruction. But before we go there, because we're kind of on the same topic, um, yeah. there are also critics who are saying that, oh, deconstructionists are abandoning historical Christianity and everything in the Bible. What would you say to that? I would say that because there is no one 
definition of deconstruction. Um, there is no one individual, there's not a, a collective experience where we all have this checklist. There's no deconstruction for dummies, right? I, I would say that there's a lot of there's a lot of assumptions and there's a lot of ego in that. Um, rather than sitting back and saying, okay, well, well, the the term deconstruction is relatively new. Is this called something else in church history? Is this called yeah. something else in the Bible? And right. if you really go back to the the core definition that we started with at the beginning of this conversation, the examining and the sifting and sorting, I would challenge that that's been going on forever. Yeah. Like that yeah. that is actually what mm -hmm. um, what that's spiritual growth, that's spiritual development. Um, you know, there's so many different ways that you can look at it and see the doubting and the examining and the sifting and the sorting and then the growth that typically occurs afterwards as spiritual growth. But if you're locked into this, well, let's just be real. If you're locked into this apologetics posture of the faith, the church have to be defended, then you're walking around in a defensive posture and nobody else's perspective or experience or expertise is ever going to be good enough because that's not what you're looking for, right? right? right. You're not looking to engage in, um, you know, theological conversations that allow room for other people's perspectives right. or other, other data sets or other, um, you know, other, or other translations, other archeological works, other biblical scholar works. I know, like, I know. That's yeah. just, you're not right. allowing room so, for that because you have the one right way right. to do things. Right. So like, that's a good point. And my experience, for example, um, you know, evangelical theology, we, we'd already, we figured it out. You know, I remember right. thinking that when I was in a church, wow, we figured it out. This is that, this is it. <laughs> and then when I started deconstructing, realizing wait a minute eastern christianity is totally is almost totally different right. than western christianity the eastern orthodox some of the eastern streams throughout history they don't believe the same things that we believe about atonement and right. the and the bible and you know in the in the doctrine of hell universalism yeah. was prevalent was the prevailing view for hundreds of years right uh, and, and so these kinds of facts they they just want to ignore and and then just think, well, no, we we've already figured it out. We've got what historical Christianity is, and they don't want to look outside that. But that's just very yeah. unhealthy. And and I think that what's so hard about this is that I don't think that the majority of people who are kind of in that posture you're describing are doing it maliciously. Um, I, I don't think that there's an intent to harm. I think there are some voices who have quite a bit of power in the system that are just aggressively defending their own power. Um, but as a whole, you know, the, the people that, yeah. that we used to go to person. church with, right? Yeah. Your average person, right. yeah. they are, a lot of them are very concerned that anybody in deconstruction is going to go to hell. Um, yeah, and right. probably take their loved ones with them, right? I know. And that's the part of the programming and the brainwashing in my mind that's been going on in their life and their faith in their, you know, faith mm -hmm. tradition is that, mm -hmm. oh, this is true. If you don't believe the way I do, you're going to hell. And, and they're just very sincere about that. And they're right. trapped in this fear-based faith. So right. they're not, and they're not willing to question it yet. Maybe hopefully they will in the future, but, yeah. but, but that's so true. It's like, but I always also say that some people, they really should know better. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Right. Right. Absolutely. And I, and I think the key to really working through this um, and, and kind of evaluating what we should be listening to and what we shouldn't be listening to is that it really depends on where you're at. Right. It depends yeah. on where you're at in your journey. Um, it, like we talked about earlier, if you're in a place that is not safe, then it's, you know, maybe listening to the critics and, um, you know, allowing that to seep in and guide your decisions may not be the best option. Right. Like yeah. take a beat, catch your breath, find some safety, do whatever recovery that you need to do. And then do a deeper dive in the theology. Right. Like right. the, the theology is not going anywhere. Um, right. you know, the, even if you were to take all of the other world religions off the table, okay. And just look at the variety that we have in Christianity, especially in countries that have not been colonized. That's mm -hmm. important, right? Yeah. Um, there is such a, a, a 
it's just such a diverse experience um, that even if you're terrified of losing your faith, there's a lot of different directions you can go within Christianity that don't line up with a lot of the toxicity. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it really, yeah, it's like I was saying the Eastern, Eastern theologies, for example, um, I don't know. Quakerism is very different. The Moravians right. were different. Right. <laughs> all exactly. These, right. All these other streams, uh, yeah. even within Western Christianity. But, um, okay, let's pivot a little bit. Um, sure. uh, what is, how do you define toxic religion and, and give us some examples? Yeah. So a lot of people talk about uh, trauma. Okay. And, and religious trauma is absolutely a thing. It's not just people getting their feelings hurt. It doesn't just happen in cults, although it's really done pretty thoroughly there. Right. Um, so when we talk about what we're working through in my coaching relationships in the book and conversations like this, toxic religion is is religion that's doing harm and and more specifically religion that's doing harm and saying that that's god's will yeah. right so for example if you go back several decades um you know post-civil war um right around the time that the jim crow laws were being rolled out and those kind of things what you see is a very very large segment of the church teaching that enslaving people was actually sanctifying them. Mm -hmm. We see the same thing with genocide of indigenous people, um, you know, enslaving them, forcing conversions, even, even harming them. Um, that was actually to save them from their lack of belief. Okay. That's a really extreme example. Um, right. But at the time, the churches here in the U.S., were driving and funding and um, taking active roles in those horrific acts. Okay. That's an example of toxicity. That's, a, that's an example of toxic religion where mm -hmm. we're harming people and saying that we're justified um, and even going a, one step further and saying it's good for them. Like this is, this is me being a shepherd. It's good for them. Um, rather than recognizing their humanity, and, and treating them in equitable ways. So when you get to the modern day church and we talk about toxic religion, a lot of times it's still rooted in that. It's still rooted in racism. It's still rooted in colonialism because the U.S. church um, and even, you know, what came over from, from England, that was rooted and funded by the enslavement of other people. Mm -hmm. So when we see these, you know, really old churches on the East Coast, most of them were funded by slavers, right? So for us to say toxic religion doesn't exist anymore is just a really ignorant stance. Um, and so when we talk about toxic religion, it's a big bucket of a whole bunch of different things. But the bottom line is the harm that it's doing and how that is connected to your sanctification, how that is connected to your eternal soul, how that's connected to whether or not God's really mad at you, right? Like even yeah. those things, whether you're allowed in community, whether you're allowed to lead that community, um, all those things are tied to these individual acts or these, um, you know, check boxes that you tick um, to show that you're in line with whatever the doctrine of that particular church or denomination is. Right. So give us give us specific modern examples. Um, like you mentioned, you know, how they look at themselves. You mentioned like women are <laughs> often have <Yeah>. toxic <laughs> beliefs thrown at them. Give us some specific examples. Yeah, I think the one that's on everybody's mind because we're creeping into election season is Christian nationalism. Um, mm -hmm. Christian nationalism is just white supremacy. It just is like um, it's this idea that. God is for America and we're the chosen blah, blah, blah. And like anything that um, says that's not true is an attack on God and an attack on our country. Right. And, and what that's an example of is the marriage of, of Christianity and power. Mm -hmm. And what we see is that the more those two are in bed with each other, the further and further and further we get from the ancient religion, what we see in the Bible all the way back, right? But you could also see in the Bible that type of corruption, 
Um, so when we talk about Christian nationalism, uh, you know, is there a flag on your stage, <laughs> right? Like um, when you're worshiping, are you worshiping the country and this idea that we're all um, pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and the only thing it takes to succeed here is uh, a strong back and a bunch of faith and everybody has the same opportunity and, um, you know, immigrants are here to to murder and kill us and, um, you know, there's no racism anymore. We're a great country. Like all those things are wrapped up in that Christian nationalism. Um, homophobia, transphobia, those things are also wrapped up in Christian nationalism. Pro-life stances, um, if you just go back and you kind of look at the, the core of each of those issues, what you'll see is that the moment they became politicized, the moment that, that the, the person or group politicized them gained more power. Yeah. yeah we've well, seen a lot it, of people get to the White House on that, yeah. and that's toxic religion. I know. Well, and it goes way back, um, basically, you know, the, the statement, you know, we were founded as a Christian nation. We've got to get our Christian values back. We're being yeah. taken over by the liberals, <laughs> right? And it's when you look at history, you read the history of our country, you go, wait a minute. This is, and I don't mean selective yeah. history, because you, right. you, can, you can selectively, you know, quote someone and go, see? But if you look at it in context, if you look at all the voices, you go, wait a minute, we were not founded as a Christian nation. And especially yeah. when you bring in slavery and you go, wait a minute, our, we had a huge blind spot here. All men are created equal. No, it wasn't true. It was a great, um, it was a great theory yeah. that, but we didn't live up to it until hopefully we are more now mm -hmm. we are but back when it started it wasn't happening and so right we, right that's why we you know we had slavery in our country for you know what whatever how many years yeah until it was finally abolished and and i would even say um and this is going to make people mad but that's what we're here for right if you listen <laughs> to the most educated black activists who are deeply embedded in these conversations. Slavery was never actually abolished. Um, people are just enslaved. People of color are enslaved in different ways. Oh yeah, that's true. The history will yeah. tell you that. Yeah. You know, yeah. all right. We abolished it legally on paper, but go into the, to the, the Jim Crow laws and all segregation. It was still there. They imprisoned mm -hmm people in a sense uh, yeah. by um, getting them black people in prison yeah. very easily and then yeah. using them for labor for corporations. I mean, you could right. track all that stuff. You're right. And it's still happening today. I mean, the, yeah. the school to prison pipeline is still there. If you look at the right. number of people of color on death row who have been acquitted um, because yeah. they were uh, bullied and, and things were manipulated. Like it's, it, it's, um, it is really um, ignorant and uninformed of us to say that we have any remotely equitable society at this point. Right. And the church should actually be leading the charge in that. Um, the church should be the first um, to care for the, the widow and the orphan, right? The first, the first to say, hey, this is unjust. Exactly. But what's happening is that the church's definition, in many cases, the church's definition of unjust is rooted in that colonialism is rooted in this false sense of of who we are as a country and there's no responsibility yeah. um it, for our what our ancestors have done and how we benefit from it today and that's yeah. that's what makes it toxic right that's what that's what pulls right. it back to toxic yeah. religion it amazes me how you know the on the religious right you know there's there's no real there's no real empathy for all these people that are leaving desperate situations and poverty and exploitation in South America and trying to get into the U S and Jesus taught <laughs> be on the side of the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized. And in the old test in the, and the Torah said, you know, care for the foreigner. So it's just, right. it's just like it becomes opposite of what, of what the, one of the core teachings yeah. in the Bible is yeah. when we go down those paths and, right. um, so I would also just add that, you know, for folks out there, we're not going to be have a time to cover it here. But what Angela and I are talking about also with religious 
uh, toxic religion. Uh, like Angela said, any, any, any belief that really harms people, and that could be psychological or physical uh, harm, lots of psychological harm with the doctrine of hell, uh, mm -hmm. fear-based faith. You know, I've talked to people who had, you know, they still haven't overcome this fear that, oh, you yeah. know, because I'm deconstructing, maybe I'm going to hell, you know, all this stuff. And right. historically not seeing the history behind how the doctrine was actually created and how it wasn't taught in the New Testament. Other things like uh, the the original depravity belief that we're just terrible uh, worms of people that really are depraved right. and without jumping through the right religious hoops, you know, we're on the path to hell and because we're, we're not worthy uh, of God's love until Jesus was tortured and murdered on a cross. Okay. Right. Now God will forgive us only after this violent act ha happens, all these kinds of things right. when you get boil it down. They're very toxic and they yeah. work on people's psyche, you know, in yeah, a negative yeah. way. Yeah, especially when they're weaponized to create this homogenous community, right? When we're we're taught to assimilate into a a single lane, um, I think what people miss the most is that that single lane, that path, um, isn't the path that's biblical. It's, right. it's not the path of the early church. It's not the right. path um, that would have been in the Old Testament or the New Testament. What it is, is it's a past that is deeply shaped by the last few hundred years of Christianity. And that's right. why that's why deconstruction is needed so much, because it's taking a step back and saying, OK, this is what what uh, has been said for the last few hundred years. What came before that? Like, what are the what are the old practices that are no longer here? Um, and, and a lot of that is really scary and feels like anarchy to people who are so deeply connected to those doctrines that you were just talking about, that right. that's, that's yep. safety for them. Yeah, it is. It is. Right. Mm -hmm. No. And then, and then the, the point you made about what I would call group think, you know, mm -hmm. people get into a situation where you have to believe all these things yeah. in the group. And if you don't, they make it very you know, clear. Oh, that's outside the lines. Right. <laughs> that's right. not, that's not acceptable. And yeah. then they're just kind of caught in this way of thinking. Um, so you also in the book, you, you talk about what people need for their deconstruction journey. Let's say someone's questioning and they're like, I don't know. I, I've got all these doubts about this doctrine, this, and this, what do I do? What do I yeah. do to, to embark on this journey? Yeah, I, I think the, the most important thing, if people only hear one thing in this entire podcast, it's that you really have to get comfortable with yourself. You have to find yourself um, because a lot of times we've spent so much time in the church, outside the church, even just in general culture, being conditioned to value other people's voices over our own. Mm -hmm. And so if you're going into a wilderness, if you're going into a season of confusion and, and trying to sort through things, one of the first things you have to do is figure out how to get in your own skin and, and listen to yourself and um, be able to process what's going on. And a lot of times that means a ton of grieving. Um, in my case, it meant a ton of therapy. Like there's a lot of different tools that you can use, but you, you can't go through a season like this just waiting for other people to tell you what to believe um, and, and not engaging with your own wisdom and what you've learned and, and your own curiosity. So that's the first thing. Um, the other thing is, is some level of community that's safe for you. Um, and, and not that they don't challenge you because um, challenging people and questioning and um, you know, pushing back, that could be safe. What I'm talking about when I'm talking about safety is spaces where you're not going to be ridiculed, where you're not going to be bullied, um, you're not going to be evangelized or pressured uh, to believe certain things, but a space that recognizes you and your autonomy as a human being and your ability to think through things. And honestly, if we are sitting here as, as Christians and we say, hey, this is what I believe about God, 
questioning and doubting and, and exploring things shouldn't be that threatening if the Christian God is who we believe the Christian God is. Right. 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 Um, and so, you know, those are the key things. There's a lot of other things. There's some things I teach in the book that are really helpful uh, to get connected with your body and some processes. Again, they're not going to tell you what to believe. <laughs> so if you're looking for the step-by-step, -step, it's just not there. Yeah. Right. But, um, there, it's a process that's going to help you stay connected with yourself and listen to the voices that are out there, the ones you agree with, the ones you don't agree with, and just try to navigate that in a way that allows for healing um, rather than creating a false crisis, kind of like what we're seeing in some of these, um, these critics where... Uh, it's a false crisis and it's something you've got to decide right away and you've got to get back in the church. And like, it's not that it's just right. a season of life that you're in and you deserve space to figure that out without right. being beat over the head with someone else's idea of what the Bible says. Right. Yeah. What I'm hearing is, you know, helping people to think for themselves and give them permission to do that. And a lot of people are caught up in fear. They don't want to go down this road because they're fear, afraid of falling away and mm -hmm. <laughs> losing their faith and all these things. And, and, and as a, a deconstruction coach, you can say, look, tons of people have done this and they haven't lost their faith. Okay. <laughs> They've, it's been reformed in a way that is, is, um, uh, you know, um, very, very different than, than what they've come from. But right. they still have their faith. And it's just a new paradigm. It's like a new way of looking at things. It's not tossing everything out. So yeah. th that's, a, that's a big fear that people have of that. It's just like, ah, you know, I'm going to lose my salvation. I mean, that's a huge yeah. fear. <laughs> yeah. And, and to be honest, if the fear is um, that someone is going to toss everything out and, and deconvert from Christianity, was it actually uh, a faith? I mean, was it actually their faith to begin with yeah. or was it um, something that was decided and, and, and laid out by other people? Um, right. I personally believe that, that um, deeply rooted spiritual beliefs stand up to criticism and stand up to challenge. Yeah, and, exactly. and, 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 you know, we talk, one of the examples I use in the book is I talk about fortified faith. Mm -hmm. Um, and especially in the apologetics, you see this, you see this fortified faith of like, this is where, um, the cathedral is built. This is where it's going to be forever. And, and movement is not welcome there. Um, what we're really saying is, if, if you go back through church history and you go back through the Bible, does a rigid authoritarian faith actually honor what was there? And that's kind of the heady part. Um, there's a lot more to it than just the heady part. But for people who are sitting on the fence and saying, I don't really understand this, um, what does it actually mean? There is there is a heady part to it. There's a, a part of trying to figure things out, but you can't... Um, it's really hard to make decisions from a heady part when you're actively being harmed and you're actively in traumatic, abusive situations. So that's why we, that's why we take a step back um, and, and learn how to get out of our fight flight mode so that we then have the space to evaluate those heady things with all of our brain and all of our oh, body. Yeah. yeah. Right. No, I, that makes, that makes sense because, um, I, a lot of people have to leave the church to really deconstruct. They can't, they just got to stop attending maybe, uh, or, you know, control it a little bit more because they're, mm -hmm. they're hearing all these conflicting things and they're still getting harmed or they're still, you know, being confused and they don't know what to do. They have right. to get to a point where they can feel safe. They can think for themselves right? and they don't have this, you know, thing lit over their head. Like, Oh, you know, you're going down the wrong path, right. but you know, you just, you, you decide, but have some, have some comfort that this is not you, you know, everyone has to, to agree what they decide to believe. Right. Right. And, and if you decide, I'm not going to give up some of these things, you, you, that's fine. You make up your own mind. Mm -hmm. It's just look at the things that you think are harmful, right. Deconstruct them and, and just see if maybe, Maybe they're actually, uh, maybe evangelical theology, it really isn't that historical in, in this area, in this area, in this area. Maybe something more, more historical 
more historical Christianity is over here and you haven't even thought about it, right? right. So you have to kind of get out of that paradigm. They have to, it has to be a paradigm shift really because you're right. stuck in this box and you only, you're thinking this one way. Yeah. And there, a lot of times there's an inner conflict. Um, there's this sense of, I, I can't put my finger on it, but there's some sort of dissonance. What's going on here? And I yeah. think that's why we're seeing such a surge in coaches and books and, you know, pro and against and, and all of that, because a lot of, you know, in 2020, a lot of people couldn't go to church. And there was this strange thing that happened where a lot of my clients were like, I haven't been to church in months. Why do I feel better? <laughs> right? Yeah, like, right, exactly. That doesn't make sense. And it's not like, hey, I'm yeah. running around sinning and I don't feel guilty. Right. It's like, right. no, I, at that point, a lot of people still had a very strong faith. And and they were just kind yeah. of looking around and saying, what the heck is going on? This is the middle right. of a pandemic. It's very stressful. I'm not physically in my community. Why do I feel better? Why do I feel right. safer? Why do I feel more connected to God than ever? Exactly. And that was the red flag for a lot of people, especially people like me and you who have a ton of privilege in that system and we weren't being pushed out to the margins, right? We were pretty comfortable and, and maybe not so aware of, of how we benefited from that harm. Um, it, it took a lot. It takes a lot to get people with privilege into, into a posture of deconstruction because the system benefits us. So right. I think you're right. absolutely right. I think um, there's a lot of shifting that we're seeing now. I think a lot of conservatives, um, religiously conservative and sometimes politically conservative people just thought that everybody would come back to church and it's hitting the numbers, right? So the attendance isn't there. Pew Research is putting out reports talking about the nuns um, and, and you know, it's it's hitting the offerings. It's just, you know, it's shifting things. And that's what gets the attention of, of people who have power in the system. No, when it yeah, starts we, to shift and it's out of their control, right? now it's time for them to do sermons and declare war on deconstruction right. and have books that teach how to battle it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, because that was going on before, but with COVID, it just, it just, it just exacerbated everything exactly. uh, uh, much more. So it also reminds me, you know, people who are def um, attacking deconstruction, a lot, of, a lot of times these people, their whole careers, <laughs> and I was like this, I was a professional missionary, okay? Mm -hmm, Your whole mm -hmm. career is like, if you're a pastor, or if you're in some denomination, or you have some, if you're a professional Christian, right, uh, evangelical Christian, and when someone's deconstructing the faith, you're like, wait a minute, this is what I've been doing for decades, Right. right. This is a real personal attack on me. Right. So it sounds that's the way they interpret it. It's not, but it's like, man, if I if I start deconstructing as a pastor, right, my church denomination might fire me. My board and my church might fire me, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I have a lot of clients. You may you may also a lot of coaches right. I talk to in this space have a lot of clients that are in those leadership positions, right. which means they don't have the ability to have these honest conversations without fear of losing their job or, you know, potentially even losing their spouse or their children. Yeah. Um because then they're, they'll seem outside the faith. Right. So, right. yeah, I, I think that there's a, I think that there is a lot of pressure to pick a side right now, and that should be a red flag. Yeah, that's right? true. If deconstruction isn't for you, cool. Like, if you don't need it, if you're not in a season where that's where you're at, cool. I can still respect your humanity. But if you're saying that people in deconstruction um, are attacking the church and you're prioritizing the, the structure of the church, which again, modern day church is not ancient church. That's not what it looked like. Um, but if you're, if you're protecting that and saying, this is what's under attack when it's actually not, that's idolatry. And so what happens is specific doctrines, um, you know, specific structures, um, those become idols um, that are being defended by people who are claiming to be victims of those of us out here in the deconstruction space. That is a pattern that has worked for centuries. Yeah, that's an excellent protect point. Power. Yeah. All right. We're, yeah. we're running out of time, but I want to address what reconstruction is to you 
and you know what that journey is like. Yeah, I, I, reconstruction again is like deconstruction. It does not look the same for everyone. Um, mm-hmm. And I, again, a lot of the clients that I work with are are educated pastors, former pastors, leaders. Um, you know, women who were in the church every time it, the doors were open. And in some ways, you don't necessarily need reconstruction if you have the space to deconstruct a little more slowly, right? Mm -hmm. So what happens is as you're sifting things out, there's now room for for what's good and what's sacred and holy to expand, okay? If you're in a situation where, um, you know, you're coming out of high control religious groups, you're coming out of cults, you're being absolutely marginalized, um, you know, our neighbors of color, like we talked about immigrants, how they're really getting blasted right now with all this criticism, queer people in the church, that may be a burn it all down, walk away, and then decide if I want to rebuild my faith sort of situation. So again, it, it depends on where depends you're at in the hierarchy. Right it also depends on um, what type of support you have. Because if you have a, a supportive community, if you have a therapist, if you have a coach, if you have people that you can openly talk to about doubts, then sometimes reconstruction isn't needed because there's space in that moment for you to sift and sort and develop more robust spirituality and and expand on your beliefs at the same time. Not everybody has that. So if you're listening and you don't feel like you have that, you're probably right. Well, yeah, in one sense, reconstruction kind of happens at the same time as deconstruction. But in another sense, there's a point where some people um, think, okay, after all this, now what do I do? I mean, you yeah. know, what, what do I really believe? And I'm not sure. Right. Yeah. And so like, like I just give you one example, uh, for me, deconstructing penal substitutionary atonement was the hardest thing to do. It's sure. so ingrained and in, it was so ingrained in me. <laughs> and then after you do that, you're going, well, what do I, what, what's the meaning of the cross then? And then you have to kind right. of think about that and talk to people about that or read something about that. And that's yeah. it's just like, okay. So I think it, I think uh, it depends on where people are at right. is what you're saying. And also it's, it's sometimes if you're in a good spot, you can kind of reconstruct as you deconstruct. It's just kind of like intertwined. And then yeah. other times you have to, okay, I got so burned over here. I just got to walk away, find a right. safe space. Don't worry about reconstruction yet. You know, just yeah. get myself healed. Right. Yeah. And I don't think you know where you're at till you're in it. Yeah. Um, the other thing that serves as a little bit of a warning, um, reconstruction itself isn't a bad thing, uh, but be very, very careful. A lot of... Um, a lot of reconstruction is about bringing you back into the fold. Um, and oh, you absolutely. can go out yeah. and you can deconstruct right. and you can have all these doubts as long as you come back to these 10 core beliefs or, or whatever. Right. So um, just like I'm going to say, um, you know, keep your ears up when you're looking at deconstruction coaches and communities and therapists and all that. You've also got to, to, to pay real close attention to people who are talking about reconstruction because, um, anywhere there's a potential for liberation, there are people who don't want liberation and are going to do whatever they need to do to make sure that your path of liberation points you back into exploitation. Right. So it's really, it's up to you. You have to make, uh, your, the, the choices, not, you know, the reconstructor or the, <laughs> the guru teacher, or whoever right. it is, or coach, um, and beware of agendas really just absolutely look look. i always tell people look there's a lot of information out there and then you talk about this in the book you got to get new information you've been in this bubble go outside the bubble and find new information decide if it makes sense to you or not decide if it seems this is more historical or scholarly or makes more sense whatever it is and then follow the evidence where it leads yeah. And you're the, the, the determiner of, of where that leads. Yeah. And, right. and make sure that you're getting evidence from people who are, are not in your bubble and don't have experiences that you have. Right. Because yeah. that's what we talked about a little while ago about how limited our, our view of, of what Christianity is. Um, when we're limited on our view of what Christianity is, we're also limited on our view of how Christianity impacts the world. 
And so we have right. to have that really honest conversation about, okay, if this is what I believe to be true, is that actually what's happening? Or have I just been reading the sales brochures and, exactly. and aren't actually living in the post-sale right. reality of, right. of what we're, what fruit we're producing, right? To go biblical, like what, okay, so you'll know what's holy by the fruit that it produces. Right. Is it producing what's the fruit, fruit we're producing? Is really, right. Exactly. Is it still harmful in some way <laughs> or is it really healthy? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Okay. Well, this, this has been a great conversation, Angela. Uh, we've run out of time. So folks, uh, check out Angela's book, um, Deconstructing Your Faith Without Losing Yourself. I hope the cover didn't change. Oh, it's the same. Okay. So I actually, yeah, this is the first official copy. It doesn't say yeah. advanced reader copy. So yeah, this just came in over the holidays. And so I'm keeping this close because it, um, the cover's it feels the same. very the real. The cover yeah. will be the same. Okay. All right. Yeah. Good. This is the, this is the same version that we shipped off to Amazon. We shipped a whole bunch of right. them uh, a couple of weeks so, ago. So. Right. So um, it's going to be available February 20th, but you can mm -hmm. go on Amazon and order it now, pre-order it. So yeah. thanks again, Angela, for joining us. Um, I'll put all this information in the show notes. Do you have a website that we can put up there too? Yeah. It's AngelaJHarrington.com. Um, there's even a little button at the top where you can get to the book information. Um, and yeah, we love the big stores, but there's also a link where you can search for your local mom and pop shop. And I'll just be honest, if it's not in your budget right now, go to your local library, give them a call. They have a budget for ordering things and I don't care how you get it. Um, I just hope that you get it and it brings you a little bit of encouragement and hope that you're going to be okay. No matter what yeah, that looks like, right, right. you're going to be okay. And there's also, you also have a faith deconstruction cafe that uh, will, uh, a community uh, that people can tap into. So we'll put that in the show notes as well. So, okay, um, folks, uh, it's time to sign off now. Uh, uh, check out Angela's content. It's really valuable. And uh, until next time, enjoy responsibly. Oh, oh, oh.